Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank you, praise team, and thank all of you for worshiping this morning. I pray the Lord was uh, glorified in everything that, that we did in worship, and I appreciate you taking part. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to the book of Judges. Joshua Judges in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Judges chapter 1. Last week I shared with you a part one of a two-part series. And so today I want to uh, share with you part two as I share with you about fighting the Canaanite culture. And we'll look at Judges chapter 1 and we'll look at verses 1 through 4 and then we'll look at verse 28. Judges chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, fighting the Canaanite culture, 1 through 4, and then verse 28. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. In other words, you help me fight the Canaanites. I'll help you fight the Canaanites. Then in verse 4, Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. Now if you would look to verse 28, chapter 1. We're going to look at several verses as we go through this this morning. Verse 28 says, And it came to pass, when Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites under tribute. That means they made slaves out of them. They put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out of the land. Very important. Last week I shared with you part one. Today I'm sharing part two. We learned last week, for you that were not here, just a quick review that Judges is a book that records the moral degradation, the moral downfall of the nation of Israel. The study is important because what's happened to, what happened to Israel in the book of Judges has also taken place in America, and it's now happening to God's people in America. First of all, we learned last week that God had a plan for Israel. They were to conquer the Canaanites and drive them out of the land. They couldn't live together because, number two, the different philosophies of social and spiritual approaches to life were very different. The Israelites believed in one God. They had His Word. He had given them uh, guidelines to follow. The Canaanites, on the other hand, did what was right in their own eyes. They were polytheistic. They had many gods. Therefore, one of the two would have to compromise. So third, we learned, we discovered that the threat of being canonized, we have to be careful. When you disregard the Word of God as your guide, as your standard, you become, you become the guide and the standard for what is right and for what is wrong. And then we learned the key to being canonized. It's found in Judges chapter 25, uh, 21, 
last chapter in the book of Judges. Judges 21, and it would be, uh, I believe, verse uh, 25. I believe we have it on the screen. Here's the key to being Canaanized. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so this is why God's people took up the morals, the ethics, the standards of their culture. And when they did that, that represented a shift in the thought of the children of Israel. The point is they moved away from the authority of what God said about the matter to what they themselves thought about the matter. And so God no longer, had, uh, no longer was their authority, but they became their own authority, and we see this happening all around us today. It's not about what God wants, it's about what we want. We are our own authority. Now, so how did Israel lose the culture war? How will, we use the, how will we lose the culture war? Well, basically, they just didn't lose it all of a sudden. It's kind of like the, uh, the frog in the kittle syndrome. You know, we've been told for years. I remember learning, uh, being taught this when I was uh, uh, probably in uh, high school. Maybe you put a frog in some water in a pan, just cold water, and you turn the heat up, and... The frog kind of relaxes, and he gets adjusted to the temperature, and you turn it up a little higher, and he gets adjusted that temperature, and a little more, and he gets adjusted. And all of a sudden, you cook the frog because he, he becomes so accustomed to the temperature, not knowing that he's destroying himself. And that's what happened to the Israelites. And so as far as an outline this morning, fighting the Canaanites, first of all, if you're taking notes, Fighting the Canaanites. The chapter begins in showing, showing to us that Israel is fighting the Canaanite culture. And so you have to get the picture. Israel, they believe in one God. They believe in the authority of God's Word. They're living a clean, a pure, a holy, separated life. And then around them, they're surrounded by the Canaanite culture. And the Canaanites are polytheistic, they're immoral, and really they're vulgar. We'll talk about that a little later. The point is the two cultures are, are, are in conflict with each other. They cannot live peacefully. They cannot live, coexist with each other. Therefore, one is going to have to prevail. And the same is true about Christ, the Christian perspective and the perspective about the godless culture of America today. One of the other is going to win out. One of the other is going to have to have greater influence over the other. Did you know that God has put us in this world as believers to be thermostats and not thermometers? You know, all of us probably have a thermostat in our home. The thermostat doesn't tell what the temperature is. A thermometer tells what the temperature is, but the thermostat sets the temperature. And God has left believers in this world, not as a thermometer, but as a thermostat, to set the spiritual temperature of a nation. That's what we're here for. So in order to defeat the Canaanite culture, it begins with fighting the culture. Um, what did God tell them to do? God told them, if you remember, in verse 1, drive the Canaanites out of the land. Do battle. Go against the Canaanites. 
Now, as you read the opening verse, look, if you will, back at verse 1. If you, as you read the opening verses, you're going to notice the key ingredients in fighting the culture war in which we live today. They had the same ingredients as they, uh, same weapons as uh, we have today. They had the weapons to use against the Canaanites. First weapon they had, first weapon we have, is the Word of God. Look at verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And verse 2, And the Lord said, that's key, to fight the battle against our culture, we have to have, we have to use, we have to know, we have to study the Word of God. To fight the culture, we have to use the Word of God. We, we win the victory as we claim the authority of Scripture. Also as we assert the truth of Scripture. See, God never intended for the church to retreat. God never intended for the church to back up when there was a cultural conflict. He wants us to move forward. I guess one of my favorite songs is one that we sing from time to time. And the title of that is Onward Christian Soldiers. Remember the words, Onward Christian Soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. Like a mighty armor moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We're not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine. One in charity, onward Christian soldiers marching off to war. And what you have, you have the church as an offense, on offense. They are marching toward the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church if the church moves forward, if the church goes forward. And that's what we're to do here at Mountain View Baptist Church. God never intended for the church to retreat, to back away. God said it plain to Peter when he said this. He said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not that hell is marching against the church. It's church marching against the gates of hell. And they won't prevail against the church. That's the picture of offense. And so that's the church. It's the church going forward. It's the church winning. It's the church fighting the war. And one of the worst things that's happened in Christianity is that we took ourselves out of the structure of society. We've come up with this idea that we're not to be involved in this society in any way. And we have withdrawn and we've pulled ourselves back inside the walls of the church. That's not what we're to do. Jesus said that we're to be salt. Jesus said we're to be light. Salt is useless unless you can get it out of the shaker. Light is useless unless you turn the light on. So we need to be salt. We need to be light. We need to let our light shine. So that's why we as Christians need to be involved in what's going on around us. That's why as Christians, we need Christians on school boards. We need Christians on city councils. We need Christians to run for state senators and, and representatives and for presidents. And wherever we can have a Christian, we need to have a Christian. We're not to pull back. We're to go forward. That's what we're to do. I remember years ago, 1984, 
I ran for the Board of Education. I had a degree in social work, and I got to thinking how, you know, we need a social worker in our school system. We had five schools at that time in our county school system. And we need a social worker. And I talked with our deacons. It's not about me being a Republican or a Democrat, but it's what we can do best for our kids. We need a social worker. Would it be all right with the church? And the church said, sure. The church voted, said, sure, go ahead. And I was able to, to be appointed to win that election, and we started a social worker program in our school system. And then later I, res I resigned as a board member after four years, and they hired me to be the first social worker, and, and we did the most for children. We turned power on. We had utilities turned back on. We, we counseled kids. The first week that I was on the job, we had a, a, a kid to commit suicide, and we had another attempt at suicide, and I was able to counsel with kids, and, and I stayed there a year, and I resigned, and I was still full-time here at the church. But I resigned, and, and I didn't want to see that program destroyed or done away with, and ended up, they ended up with three more social workers. That's what we need. We need Christians to be involved in our society. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light. He wants us to live out our, our faith in Him. And so we need Christians in every aspect of society every part of the culture of America. The point is, we're not to retreat, but we're moving forward. We're on the offense. Now, why is that? Because we have His Word and we have His promise that we can win the victory. But we just can't stay behind four walls. We have to go forward. So how do we win the culture war? First, by fighting with the Word. Then we fight with prayer. Notice in verse 1, they ask the Lord. You know, prayer is a mighty tool. Tennyson said this, he said, More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. The point is, there is power in prayer. That's why it's so important to pray as an individual and as a church. I guess any time I look at my spiritual life, where I need to improve the most is in my prayer life. I need to pray more. I need to pray more. That's where I need to improve the most. The church needs prayer warriors. The world needs prayer warriors. The lost needs prayer warriors. Our families need prayer warriors. Our civil leaders need prayer warriors. Why is that? Because there's power in prayer. So how do we win the culture war? By God's Word, by prayer, and then notice number three, or C, I believe on your outline, with mutual cooperation. You notice verse 3? God's people were working together and they were cooperating together. You come up and help me fight, I'll come and I'll help you fight. The point is we may not all agree, all Christians may not agree on doctrine, but we do find things that we do agree on. may not agree on doctrine, but there's some things that we can agree on. I have good Methodist friends, good Pentecostal friends. I have good Church of Christ friends. We may not agree on doctrine, but there's things that we agree on. There's mutual cooperation in fighting the battle against abortion. Mutual cooperation about fighting against alcohol and gambling and pornography and sexual immorality and the sanctity of marriage. We can get together on these issues. And we do. So fighting the Canaanites, 
verses 1 through 3. We have God's Word, the Bible. We have prayer. We have mutual cooperation. And the entire family of God working together on these moral issues, fighting and winning this culture war. That's what we're called to do. Now let me give you a word of warning right here. This kind of personal application, speaking of fighting the culture war. When a person comes to know the Lord as Savior, and they come out of this Canaanite culture, there's still pockets of Canaanite inside their hearts. There really are. You get saved, you're part of the body of Christ, but you still believe some things that you believed before you got saved. You still believe some things that you were taught in a pagan culture. You still have some values that you developed from a godless culture of your past. You still have some pockets of sin in your life that need to be dealt with. Now let me... You need, to, you need to remember this. You cannot compromise with those things in your life. You better do battle with those things that you have, that you still hold on to, that you have been taught by a Canaanite culture. You better do battle with those. You better win that war. I had a person to ask me a couple, three weeks ago. They said... Um, New Christian, growing like everything. But I'm going to be honest with you, they told me. I'm going to be honest with you. I still like to have wine with my meal at times. Can you tell me what's wrong with that? I said, well, we don't have time right here over the phone, but I'll be glad to get together with you, and we'll talk about that. You got saved... You came out of this lifestyle of social drinking. Now, you still may have a little beer in your refrigerator. You may have a little wine in the wine closet. You still may have old friends that encourage you to drink or do this or to do that. Let me tell you something. You better fight against that. You better fight that war. You better put that to death. Because that old Canaanite's going to come out and he'll give you misery on down the road. You can mark it down. That's going to happen. You better do that battle. The point is, there's no compromise whatsoever in the Canaanite culture. Some come into the Christian faith and they've got problems with reading the wrong type of books or watching the wrong type of movies kind of caught up in these wrong things with pornography. You better deal with that. It'll come back and get you in the end. Better not compromise. You better do battle because you can't compromise because those cannot coexist together. So you got fighting the Canaanites, and then you've got fearing the Canaanites. Look at verse 19. Fearing the Canaanites. Now we're going to see how Israel fell because of the Canaanites. Look at verse 19. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron, fearing the Canaanites. They had chariots of iron. We're in the Iron Age now. God's people never faced chariots of iron before. So the point 
is that the Israelites, they were kind of, you would say, outgunned. They had chariots of iron. I mean, they didn't have anything to do battle successfully with the chariots of iron. I mean, they had chariots of iron. But notice, they could not drive them out. Verse 19. Now, it didn't say they couldn't be driven out. It just said they could not drive them out. God could. And God said He would. But they got intimidated with the Canaanites, chariots of iron. They got intimidated by these weapons around them. Let me illustrate how, how God's people in a nation can be intimidated. Let's talk first about drugs. We, we're, uh, we're, we're going to give up on getting rid of drugs. I've heard politicians say, and I'll quote, well, people are going to use them anyway, so we should just make them legal. Another one said recently, we need to decriminalize the drugs. Another one said, we've lost the battle, so let's give them what they want. Sounds like they're a little intimidated about drugs. We're intimidated by drugs. We're intimidated by by sexual promiscuity. We need to just teach them early to be safe. Intimidated by sexual promiscuity. Everybody's doing it. Intimidated by sexual promiscuity. Not everybody's doing it. Not everybody's doing it. There's a lot of teenagers that are still saving themselves for the person that God has for them. Promise you that. We have several who are not falling for the Canaanite culture in the land. Not everybody's falling for the drugs. Not everybody's falling for sexual promiscuity. Intimidated by drugs, intimidated by alcohol, intimidated by sexual promiscuity, telling us not to pray in school. It scares us to death. Oh, you better not utter a prayer in school. Better not pray, better not have prayer, to, better not have an invocation of a football game. That'll lock us up, intimidated by the Canaanite culture. Have you ever thought what the Bible says, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? That's a good verse to remember. They got intimidated, but then they also got infiltrated. Look at verse 28. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but they did not completely drive them out. They put them under tribute. Tribute means a slave. We can't drive them out, but we'll use them. Here we go. We can't drive the culture out, so we'll just use the culture. Modern day example of this, Canaanite tribute, a Canaanite slave is alcohol. It really is. Alcohol's not good. I did my internship in social work in an alcohol rehab center. Alcohol is not good. I love the person who has the problem, but I hate the problem alcohol. I hate it with a passion because I've seen what it's done to people and families, 
and lives. Hardest thing for me in that internship was to see a father and son, a father and a 16-year-old son going through the program together. Alcohol. Alcohol is not good. Causes deaths on our highways, family problems, child abuse problems, spouse problems. It's bad. But look what we can get out of it. It's all bad, but we've got the revenue. Everything, op- everything closed during the pandemic, but we opened up the liquor stores. Because that was a necessity, really. You know what they was wanting? They had the tribute. They had to slave alcohol. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12 and 15 gives a woe for God, a woe from God for those that build their society on the lives of those who are devastated by alcohol. God gives a woe to those societies. A woe, look out, tough times are coming. Well, we'll just put it to the tribute. We'll just use it. I'll tell you why we use it. Because politicians who want to compromise with evil Canaanites, they want to use it. Gambling's another example. I mean, it's bad, but look at the money. And they'll show you someone who, lost, who won a million, but they'll never show you the millions who lost their livelihood because of gambling. But we'll just make it tribute, a slave, and we'll use it. So the point is, we've reached a, po- a point in America where we put up with everything for the sake of the almighty dollar. Fighting the Canaanites, fearing the Canaanites, and I'm going to close with this, following the Canaanites. Look at verse 29. Did not Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer? So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Look at verse 32. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. And so what you have is you have them coexisting with each other. God's people existing with those that they're supposed to drove out of the land. That God gave the land, said he'd take care of the Canaanites if they just war against them. But they decided to, got, got terrified, intimidated, and we'll just let them live here. And they begin, we'll take them as slaves and uh, use them, get what we can out of them. And that was a bad move. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in. That's how they got into a mess. That's how we're in the mess. And did you know that if everyone who had the name, had their name on the church roll in America, everyone that had their name on the church roll in Phil Camel, Alabama, would do right and vote right and stand right, we'd solve the major uh, the moral problems and the political problems that we have in our communities and that we have in our nation. I've heard it said too many times, if the Christians would not vote for alcohol, if the Christians would not vote for gambling, it wouldn't pass. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? They started out in compromise, and now they're in total submission. We use the word capitulation. They surrendered to something for which they could no longer resist. They were following 
the Canaanites. Here's a conclusion. When you get to the point to where you're the standard of what's right and wrong, and you give in and you'll go along with the crowd, believing just like everyone else, you're headed for the days of the judges. And that's where we are. Now, this morning, are you fighting the Canaanites in word and prayer and mutual cooperation? Are you fearing the Canaanites? Have you become intimidated by them? Don't be. Just remember, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Are you following the Canaanite culture? It's obvious that, that we're living in the last days. I really believe that. I look I look for Christ's return in the air any day, any hour, any minute. So the question is this, getting serious about your relationship with the Lord. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you been saved? Have you believed the gospel? Do you believe, seriously believe from your heart that Christ came and He died on the cross for your sins? He was buried and on the third day He arose again. Have you turned from your sin and turned in repentance to this person by the name of Jesus and ask Him to forgive you and to come into your life and save you? Have you confessed Him or submitted to His Lordship over your life? Does He have all power and authority and control over your life? Or are you making the decisions? Have you been canonized to the point where you're your own Lord? And you're making all the calls. And you're taking all the shots. Have you trusted Him alone to be your Savior? If not, you need to do that today. Don't put that off. <clears throat> the most important thing you have right now is your soul. And your destiny depends on what you do with this person called Jesus. If you're a believer, are you intimidated by the culture around you? You need to be the salt. You need to come out of the shaker. You need to be the salt God wants us to be. You need to be the light. You need to turn your witness on. Do you have pockets of canonism stored away in your heart and your life? You better do battle with them. You need to start that battle today. You need to ask God, listen, God, I've got this in my heart. I'm hiding it from everybody but you, and you know it, and I'm going to fight this Canaanite in me. I'm asking you to forgive me. You see, is God your... Master, is he your Lord, or is it you? Some of you need to do battle today. Some of you need to do war. You need to fight with that old Canaanite self that you have. Last week I gave you some questions, and I'm going to look at these again as we close. Questions to consider. First of all, do you believe the Bible is the final authority for your life? What are you basing your decisions on? What do you want to do? What people are doing around you? Are you going to God's Word and saying, God, is this who I'm to date? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this where I'm supposed to work? Is this who I'm supposed to be my friend? Is your lifestyle and your decisions guided by the Bible? Question two, why do you believe as you do? Where do you get your standards and your values? From the Bible? or from the world that's around you? Number three, do you subject every detail of your life to the authority of God's Word? What does God want me to do about this? How does He feel about it? Then four, are you saved? Have you been born again? 
Are you a new creature in Christ? Does your lifestyle demonstrate this is so? Does your lifestyle demonstrate that you're a Christian? Someone said this years ago. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christian? And then I ended with the last sentence. If God doesn't change you from the rest of the culture, then what's it all about? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let's bow our heads for prayer.